You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Holly Randall Unfiltered is sponsored by Twisties. Twisties is the ultimate lesbian glamour erotica website. It is the website that I have shot for the longest. I have produced some of my best content for them, and they are definitely your go-to place for beautifully shot, believable scenes between the hottest industry stars of today. So many of my guests that you've heard on the show, I have shot for Twisties. And so if you want to look up any of my guests' girl-girl work, twisties.com is the place to go. Their Twisties treat of the month is the most carefully curated solo scenes and girl-girl scenes that showcase the best and the brightest in the porn industry. So make sure that you support my show by supporting my sponsors. And please, go and visit twisties.com. Hi, I'm Holly Randall, and welcome to my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. This is a show about sex, the adult industry, and the people in it. I'm a 21-year veteran of this fascinating little industry, and as the eldest child of the trailblazing erotic photographer, Suze Randall, you could say I grew up in it. So forget everything you think you know about porn. Because this show is going to change your mind. My guests are some of the biggest names in the industry, and we unabashedly reveal the real behind-the-scenes stories. The funny, the inspiring, the tragic, and the bizarre. Everyone has an opinion about sex work, but few people actually listen to the sex workers. So sit back and prepare yourself for a podcast, which is honest, raw, and unfiltered. Today, we're going to broach a subject that we've actually never really talked about in detail on Holly Randall Unfiltered before, and that is sex tech and the future of intimacy with advancing technology. We all know that technology is changing our lives in so many ways, some for the good, some arguably for the worst, but there's definitely no stopping that juggernaut. So, of course, we're seeing it start to creep into our sex lives. And so that begs the question, what is the future of intimacy if we can somehow mechanize it? Like, are sex robots something that's actually going to happen? And are they going to replace sex workers? I actually had a meeting with a VR company last week who was telling me that the CGI technology is getting so good that eventually we won't actually need real life porn stars. We can just create them, which of course is a terrifying concept and will put the rest of us out of a job. But how realistic are these fears? We have Eleanor Hancock here today, a sex tech researcher who actually started off on the kind of anti sex tech side and has since come over to work in sex tech. So she's got a really great perspective on both camps because yes, there is actually an organized group against sex robots. She's going to explain all of this for us and we're going to dive into a fascinating and possibly somewhat terrifying subject. So let's welcome Eleanor Hancock to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Hello, everybody. Welcome back 
to Holly Randall Unfiltered, coming to you from the void. Yes, I am in my new daylight studio. A lot of you guys know that I moved recently and I'm still struggling to find a good place to record this podcast. So that's why I'm in like a different area every time I do this. So now I'm in my new studio. Um, Excuse me for the floor being so dirty. I didn't get a chance to paint the cyclorama wall last night. But we're not here to talk about where I'm at. We're here to talk about where the future of sex technology is at. Yes, today we are going to talk about sex robots. Are they actually a thing? Like how far are we away from a Westworld-like world? And um, what does sex robots mean for relationships? Um, Could they actually be good for humanity? What are the ethical concerns around sex robots? We've got Eleanor Hancock here today, sex tech researcher, who's going to tell us all about the future of intimacy. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. It's a pleasure. So, uh, Eleanor, tell us, I guess, a little bit about how you got started in this field. Okay. Um, yeah, when anyone ever asks me this, it's like, okay, wow, like, have you got 10 minutes? Let me sit you down. Um, we've, got, we've got an hour, actually. Yeah, no. So, so we're going to get through this. So, um, right, basically, I, when I was at university, I was working at a homeless shelter. Um, I was volunteering, so I had a lot of close proximity with sex workers. They did obviously tend to be more like outdoor-based sex workers, street-based sex workers, Um, but, you know, a lot of them had had experiences in other areas of the adult industry prior to coming to us at Homeless Shelter. So I was sort of exposed to, yeah, like that, a lot of people involved in that world. Um, And then at at university, I had um, like an essay that I was meant to complete. And it was about like the future of intimacy with technology. So obviously, I think that for the past few years now, the, the, you know, the blend between technology and sexuality and our phones and our relationships and the way we talk and communicate has just been, you know, getting more and more embedded with each other. So I chose to write about the future sex industry. um, And I focused a lot of it on sex robots because at the time I'd come across a book by David Levy um, and it was called Love and Sex with Robots. And He basically made an argument that by 2050, um, sex robots would be in the sex industry. Sex robots would be, you know, really working their way into our homes. Um, But the conversations I had with sex workers sort of, I don't know, they didn't really make me agree with him, to be honest with you. So I put it all into like an essay um, and I basically sort of accentuated the idea that the jobs that sex workers do aren't just replaceable by technology um yeah and then it ended up like you know um picking up a bit of momentum and I actually went to debate um with David Levy at the British Academy um so yeah and then I also became uh, involved with the campaign against sex robots as well um which is sort of a the polar opposite of David and it's sort of trying to teach society about the dangers um of sex robots so I, I spent a bit of time on both sides that it's so interesting to me that there is actually like an organized campaign against sex robots that like the fact that they are so 
already, you know, in a position that we need to like campaign against them. I mean, where exactly are we on the sex robots trajectory? Like, because there aren't robots that you can have sex with yet, right? Like we have what I found, um, I learned a new word yesterday researching you, which I was really excited about, dildotronic devices. And that just means like dildos that are activated by uh, technology, right? Like the internet, yeah. you can kind of talk. Like, I, I love that word, dildotronic. I just, I don't know. It's like my favorite new word. Um, but yeah, where are we exactly in that whole field? Um, how far have sex robots come not far, not far really. Um, and this was something that became quite evident to me um, after I wrote that essay and really started researching sex robots, you know, like I was contacting people that were like opening pop-up brothels. Um, you know, I was trying to get in touch with people that were presenting these sex robots on, you know, television and things. And it it was really evident to me that they weren't robots. They were, you know, at best sort of dolls with an animatronic capability of some sort you know it could move its head have a mouth that you know it, it, but it wasn't anything fully fledged you know it wasn't anything like that we see uh, in tv programs you know we've had quite a few we you know like westworld and we had humans on channel four in the uk um, i'm not sure if it's available um, in the us as well um but yeah we, we are so so far away from that yet um which is sort of why I then started looking at other things like, you know, dildotronics. There's also a word called teledildonics. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Um, but yeah, I think that teledildonics, dildotronics, they all sort of fall under the sex tech umbrella. And for me, I was sort of thinking like, wow, you know, I'm here and I'm writing essays about sex robots, but actually there's other stuff expanding in the world that's having more of an impact on sexuality because they're more accessible um, I think that even, you know, sex dolls with a small, small, you know, animatronic capability to move, it's not advanced, you know, uh, there's probably less, less technology in it than the Hoover. So for me, it's, it's not really a sex robot revelation yet. So then why is there an organized group against sex robots if it hasn't really come that far what do you think the fear is behind that organization well for me when I first um you know linked in with the organization I did see um a lot of importance in the points because they did focus on the objectification of women um I you know I believe um in equality for both sexes um so of course, some of the, you know, narr- some of that narrative really struck a chord with me because I do think that um, just like we see uh, sort of a bit of a backlash with pornography at the moment in the way that some people, you know, a lot of viewers are getting fed up with that sort of sanitized, over the top representation of humans within pornography. Um, and I can understand why people wouldn't want the same with sex robots um, because it's unrealistic, right? Um so I guess I, you know, because that struck a chord with me, I was able to sort of see why such a campaign might exist. But the more I became involved, the more I saw that actually what the campaign's problem was to me was with sex work um, and capitalism, you know, and not actually sex robots. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think uh, the objectification of any human being is wrong, but 
I think that unless you tackle that with humans, it doesn't make sense to just go heads first and start it with robots first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I almost feel like perhaps those who are against the objectification of women might welcome sex robots because then you're objectifying a robot and not a human being. And, you know, there's the possibility down the line to remove human beings from sex work. But on the other hand, perhaps it's more along the lines of just another representation of the way that women are objectified because these sex robots are going to look like women, right? They're going to be built like women. They're going to sound like women. They're going to, you know, basically be animatronic women. Of course. But then this is another real um, big point, uh, revelation, if you will. But, you know, there was a couple of nights where I was sat there, I was researching and, you know, I was writing things about sex robots. And I sort of thought, well, actually, who is going to say that they even look human? You know, like who they might not. I mean, if, if you ask a lot of people out there um, what their sort of sexual tastes and preferences are, and if you gave them the opportunity to really experiment and build something, you know, that from their wildest fantasies, it might not be a human. It might not look like a human. It could look like an avatar. It could look like a Pokemon. Like, honestly, I mean, I think that the um, sort of abundance of sex toys out there shows us um, the wider taste of sort of aesthetics that we have in sex. I mean, like, I don't know if you've heard of, like, the dragon dildo brand. There's been Pokemon dildos. Um, And I think that there's a real appetite for... um, sort of diff yeah different looking people if you will you know like I think that we've got massive communities of like anime don't we anime and sort of fantasy um and I think that you know sex robots would really give those people like a chance to experiment and explore and for me it was like well that argument is totally gone you know if a sex robot doesn't look like a human who is it objectifying and you know for me I don't really think the campaign became that justified when I considered all those other points. And also it didn't talk about the objectification of men, which is a real, real thing as well. Um, I mean, if you speak to a lot of men about their porn viewing habits, a lot of guys, a lot of my friends have said to me, you know, to be honest, some porn isn't doing it for me anymore because, you know, some of the body parts are all just so unrealistic. You know, it's not portraying real sex all the time. You know, everyone's got a massive knob, massive boobs. and it doesn't always make people feel great. I guess people, you know, are vulnerable nowadays. We've, we're just sort of bombarded, aren't we, with so many different body types. Um, and, yeah, I, I guess I guess it doesn't always sit well with people. So for me, that ignoring men in the campaign was, yeah, it was wrong. It was wrong. You know, that's really interesting that you brought that point up because that is something that I have – I always mention when I kind of talk about or argue against the idea that like porn is degrading to women because it, the subject is always women, right? Like we never talk about is porn degrading to men. We never talk about the male porn stars as victims. We always talk about the female porn stars as victims. And for me, the fact that like you're always casting women in this victim role automatically, you know, and these are, this is generally from people who don't talk to sex positive sex workers. I mean, look, Obviously, there's always going to be sex workers who are going to have a, a bad experience in the adult industry. That's inevitable. Um, 
And, but there's also a lot of people who have a really great experience and women who feel empowered by shooting porn and who, especially nowadays, you know, with these, the rise of OnlyFans and everything, women that are like become incredibly financially independent to the point that they're not even working for other production companies anymore. They're only creating their own content. So like porn itself has changed so much in terms of the dynamic between like producers and brands and companies and, and the performer. But yeah, going back to what, what you just talked about, it's, it's always about like the women is the victim. Like, you know, you never hear about the men. And so, you know, I wonder then if, like you said, that the, these future sex robots may not always look like people. And then you're like, okay, well then who is it objectifying is then the fear with sex robots having to do more around the fear around sex or the fear around intimacy and human communication. I mean, we're already seeing, you know, problems with, you know, the rise of the internet with social media where people are starting to feel disconnected from each other. Um, and I can imagine that people fear that that will take, you know, even more, that will become even more of a problem if we start to introduce technology into our sex lives. So I can totally see the concerns that people have um, about introducing technology into the bedrooms and what sort of impact this might have for us as individuals. But I think that ever since we've started using um, technology more, there's also always been a bit of a fear around it. There's been this fear that, all right, okay, if you've got a thousand Facebook friends, it's because you don't talk to anybody in real life and you don't have time for anybody. But actually, research suggests that the more people you know in real life, the more you will interact on social media. Um, and I, I, I actually can sort of see that um, with sex tech as well in that, you know, the, the more adventurous you are with your partner in real life or your partners – the more likely you might be to use sex tech on an, in, you know, on an interactive sort of scale. Um, I don't see any sort of empirical research um, as of yet that suggests, a re, you know, the increase of sex tech reduces um, the physical sex that you have um, in real life. I actually think that it's um, a really great way to practice, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if you're someone that's a bit shy in bed, or a bit, you know, a bit shy about learning about your body, about masturbation, about trying things out, connecting a sex toy with somebody um, that you've never met before in a remote setting that's totally secure, so totally private, is actually quite revolutionary. And, you know, it gives you that chance on your own to try things out. And, hey, if you don't like it, you can disconnect. It's not like, you know, you're on a date and it's like you texted your friend, like, you know, help me get out of here and... You know, you don't have to worry about um, things like that. And, yeah, I, I think that's that's really quite cool. You know, actually, that reminds me of um, something that I think a lot of us don't necessarily consider, people especially who are against, um, you know, the capitalization of, of sex, is I had, a, I had a, a member of my Patreon who mentioned that, you know, he's handicapped. And he was kind of arguing for the need for sex workers um, in a kind of therapeutic and sexual way because he said, look, you know, I'm handicapped. He said, I don't get to like date. Like women are generally not interested in me. Um, it is very difficult for me to find somebody who wants to have sex with me. So for me to be able to go and 
pay somebody for the kind of intimacy that I can't get in real life is really important to me. And, you know, and he's got his, his regular women that he sees and they've developed a relationship and, and a lot of sex workers that I've spoken to, you know, who escort, um, or work in brothels have talked about how a lot of times the guys that come in to see them are looking for more than just sex. They, they they're looking for companionship as well. And, um, and it was, some, you know, I think that we, we often forget about like that kind of sect of people who have a really hard time dating and who have a really hard time meeting women and may not be having sex if they didn't have the ability to pay somebody to deliver that service to them. You know, we always think about how it might be, um, you know, uh, uh ruining relationships with, with married men or something. You hear that a lot. So, um, I, I could see how sex robots could could help even more in that area with those people who have a hard time connecting with people in real life. I totally agree with that point. And um, back when, so obviously back when I started all this, I was interviewing sex workers that I knew in a street-based setting. But then I branched out um, and I, so... I looked in a few different places, actually. I actually just, so there's a huge site called Adult Work. Um, it's really popular in England um, to sell sexual services. We also have Beaver Street, Gumtree, Gum which is a bit like Craigslist for you guys. And I just sort of actually contacted people, sex workers on there, um, and just asked if, if they'd be interested in having either a phone conversation with me. And once I sort of had a relationship with some of them on the phone, I met with them in person to conduct interviews. and. I did speak to a few that um, had a lot of disabled clients. And obviously that was, uh, you know, one of the first things I thought of too, the idea that, you know, could sex robots potentially offer a better service? Or, you know, because would a sex robot be able to have more strength than a, you know, a, a human sex worker, you know, because sometimes there might be lifting involved in a client that perhaps has a limited mobility, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes clients have like involuntary movements. Like I've spoke to one sex worker who used to come back quite bruised after seeing one particular client. And it wasn't anything that uh, this client had done on purpose. It was just part um, of the illness he was living with where there was a lot of involuntary movements. And that was something that she took in her stride. But Obviously, in an ideal world, would it be better if we could, um, if a sex robot would be able to sort of go through those motions? And I actually brought this up at a conference once about the idea that, you know, to build the ultimate sex robot, you would need to really start linking in with sex workers and, and speak to them. And I'll never forget it. At the One of the guys on the panel um, just sort of turned around and was like, I don't, we don't need to talk to sex, sex workers to build the ultimate sex robot. And it was just sort of from that moment, I was a bit like, okay, wow, I'm actually really glad that I'm here um, and, I, and I can bring their views forward. And, you know, any opportunity I would have to introduce sex workers um, into a sphere of development and design, I would do it at a heartbeat because I think that they have so, so much qualitative um, and contextual knowledge that, you know, designers and developers would just perhaps never think about. And I think that, you know, people don't speak enough um, about these, you know, sectors of people that don't have access to sex and are reliant on sex workers. Um, yeah, and I think, yeah, for for, the, for us to have a future where sex robots perhaps can participate in that 
we do need that conversation because so many people are reliant um, on those services, not even people just with physical um, disabilities, people living with a, you know, emotional difficulties that makes it hard for them to sustain a relationship, um, you know, for long periods of time. So, but again, as well, another thing that struck me about all that was that, you know, I thought it was such a brilliant, you know, concept, but it was like, wow, you know, we're so far away from that sex robot future yet. Um, which was again why I was really quite keen to come to sex technology because that is happening right now and I think that has a potential for anybody that is struggling with sex um, for whatever reason right now I, I, I think it can really help and that's one thing I'm actually doing currently at the moment that's one of my projects um, I'm always you know trying to talk to anybody living with a disability um, about how you know any products might be able to help them yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a great point. The idea that, you know, being able to build like the perfect sex robot that could have the strength, like you said, to, to kind of move and manage people with, with disabilities. And, you know, perhaps some people might be more comfortable knowing that it wasn't like a real human that they are engaging with, not somebody who's going to judge them, you know, make them feel um, less than. That actually brings me to another question. Could, because I, you know, I was I was looking at uh, the the links you sent me, and I was I was looking up some kind of questions that people were kind of throwing around about uh, sex robots, and could sex robots be introduced in a way where they could help one partner's with sexual release, and the other partner wouldn't feel jealous because it's not a human being. I think what um, the issue is, is with sex robots is because they resemble humans, um, it's, well, it's a word called anthropomorphism, where basically we give um, sort of human qualities to things that resemble humans. Um, so like, you know, just a simple example of that is, do you remember like years and years ago, everyone had the little Tamagotchis, didn't they? You know, the little, just like the little, it was like a little gadget you kept in your pocket and it was like a little pixelated animal that you looked after but people became insane you know over over these uh, caring for their tamagotchis because we you know the idea of that tamagotchi was that it had sort of not human emotions but it resembled like humanity to us um and you know if, if you look at the way sometimes people relate to toys you know relate to animals I think that we really um once we see that resemblance in a human it, it, it taps into our emotions in a different way. So for me, I feel like it's such a personal thing um, that it will always be quite difficult, I think, to bring another, you know, human-like entity um, into a relationship where there are just so, so many different complex emotions. But again, this is what really inspired me about sex tech because obviously they don't resemble humans. I mean, I have the key on here. This is um, one of the sex tech devices that um, Kiro make. But obviously this isn't really going to arouse any sort of jealousy, I don't think. I mean, I, I personally wouldn't be jealous of that um, in the sense that, you know, it doesn't, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look like a human. It doesn't act like a human. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, once it's used, it goes in a box under the bed, you know, under the bed in your little drawer. Um, whereas I think that, you know, once it's a robot, it has a presence in the room. Um, for me personally, I 
I'm actually really open-minded. I, I would probably have a threesome with a sex robot, but I really do understand those feelings about that. Um, I actually, as well, I write poems um, like as, as a hobby. Um, I've always loved creative writing. And because of like my experience in this industry um, and, you know, my research with sex robots, I have started like a series writing poems about like the future of sex toys and robots. And one of my poems is actually about the three-way relationship between a robot. And it's trying to address those concerns, you know, that, you know, like they, a robot can be turned off, you know, it's never going to tell you not to, to do the dishes or come home. And you're, you're only having one pint at the pub and then you're back here, you know, you're not going to get all that. Um, but again, what you won't get is, you know, it, it's not a human it's not a human. And I think that deep down, all of us, all of us want to be, you know, loved and we want to love and we want to love in return. And I think that we know that that is a human thing. Um, so, I, you know, I, personally, I wouldn't be so sure that just because a robot, you know, walks and talks and looks like us, um, we would be so quick to throw everything to it. I mean, it's like the the, um, the Kindle thing, isn't it? I think when the Kindle came out and everyone was reading online, everyone was like, oh my God, books are going to be gone within a year. We're never going to read again. But actually, they, they haven't lost their place in society. And I really sort of hope that we see the same with sex robots in the future and with sex tech. You know, it's not a replacement. It's something to accompany your experience. It's something to help educate you. It's not a replacement of human physical contact full stop at all. Um, and nor does it ever try to be. So. Yeah. Do you think that uh, sex robots could be programmed in a way where they could learn? They could learn people's preferences. They could learn, you know, how to masturbate you in a way where, you know, how like, you know, some guys like it hard, some guys like it soft, like every guy's kind of different. Um, would sex robots be able to, to learn your preferences? Well, yeah, I think that obviously machine learning um would make that possible but I think that this was you know one of my considerations when I looked at you know the context of sex robots in brothels and um and things like that um you know how would it's like for example you know there was a a, there was a Microsoft um chatbot that went on Twitter and the idea was that you know it used deep learning um to sort of Learn, you know, learn and interact with people. But obviously, you know what Twitter's like. It's you know a bit of a cesspit, isn't it? So within an hour of being on there and learning from humans, it turned racist, it turned homophobic. It took that to take it down. <laughs> now I remember seeing that, and I remember thinking, what would a sex robot learn in a brothel? Really, what would it learn? You know, and that would be totally, you know, unfiltered. You know, because unless you're going to have somebody watching in the room when every time somebody sleeps with this sex robot to check that it's all PC or whatever, it would be quite difficult, wouldn't it? So, yeah, I mean, I think that for me, it it would be much easier for a robot to do that in a personalised setting because, you know, it can learn your settings the same way your computer does. You know, it it can ask you, you can set things up. So I think it will be possible, but it's a long way away yet, a long way away yet. Right. All right, guys, we're going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back. So hang tight. Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Helix Mattresses. I know that some of you are sleeping on a saggy old mattress at night. 
which is why you're probably waking up in the morning with back pain. I also know what a pain in the ass it is to go shopping for a new mattress. We're all so busy, and I know that at least for me, any shopping I can do online is definitely preferable. But how do you find the perfect mattress without actually trying it out in person? Well, Helix Mattresses has solved that for you with their two-minute online quiz, which will match you to the perfect mattress for your body type and individual sleeping style. I'm a side sleeper, and I like a soft mattress. My husband is a back sleeper who likes a firm mattress, but with Helix, we were able to find a happy medium that got us both the mattress we love. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. It was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash holly, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and get your new mattress delivered right to your door. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it. And right now, for Holly Randall Unfiltered listeners, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash holly. That's helixsleep.com slash holly for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Holly Randall Unfiltered is also brought to you by Dipsy. Bring the warmth of the outside world back into your bedroom with Dipsy. If you're looking to heat things up, there's a story waiting for you. Listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush you never made a move on, or that coworker that you always had a little thing for. Or maybe a story that puts you in bed with someone who's telling you exactly what they'd like to do to you. Dipsy releases new content every week, so there's always more to explore, no matter who you're into or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has wellness sessions, central bedtime stories, and soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash holly. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash holly. That's dipsystories.com slash holly. All right, so we are back. So Eleanor, tell us a little bit about your work currently in the dildotronic industry would that be the right way to describe it yes uh well you love that word so i'll let you have that one i um, love that word <laughs> use it as much as you can um yeah so at the moment i work for kiro um i've worked at kiro for just over two years now um so yeah which feels crazy with everything going on with covid and everything you know everyone's everyone's been here there and everywhere i was working with them in amsterdam but now I'm back in England just because of COVID. Um, and I work like as a freelancer, but, you know, when the flights are up and running again, um, I'll be over there regularly. Um, so I work as a researcher for Kiro. So I do um, some stuff obviously to do with um, like product feedback and making sure things are good in that sense. Um, and then I also have been helping with our recent Field Star campaign. So we released a collection. Um, of strokers that were all models um, on porn stars. So we have Natalia stars here, just so you can see it. Can you see that? Yeah, there you can now. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, yeah, it's been really exciting, and we're literally just sort of in the middle of the launches now. Um, so yeah, it's been a really exciting process. So tell me a little bit about um, what these do. Like, how are they dildotronic? 
Okay, so basically, um, our toys, so this is the Kian, which is um, our male masturbator. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, this can be connected um, up with interactive porn. It can be connected um, with another one of our corresponding toys, the Pill 2. So you can, anything, any movement that is on the Pill 2 will then go onto the Kion as well. Um, so it can give you like a virtual sex experience. Um, obviously, the Kion can also just be connected up one way. So it connects up with interactive webcam shows, um, VR pornography, um, sort of 2D pornography, but that the movements on screen are then synced with your toy. So it's like you're having like an immersive experience with, wow. with toys. Is um is there a way for two people who are maybe like long distance lovers to interact with each other through that? Yes, yes. So essentially you would have um anybody with a penis would be able to use the key on. And then anybody um with a vagina, vulva, would use the corresponding female toy. And they could both be mm -hmm. connected. So anything, yeah. So any of the movements that go on the or the G spot um, vibrator would then sync onto the Keon as well, and the Keon would move up and down on one's penis in the same sort of movements. So yeah, that gives like a, a bit of a virtual experience. And I mean, all of this is controlled on an app as well on our Feel Connect app. So, for example, as well, you know, if you want to pleasure your partner um, and they're all the way across the world from you, you could connect the control the movements of the toy on the app. So yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I've connected quite a lot of times um, online. Just I know I say it's for research purposes, but you know sometimes <laughs> I am. Sometimes it's a bit of both. I'm not going to lie to you, um, and it is really, really, it is really exciting. It really is. Um, yeah, and you you can definitely you know it's. I think that it's very much something that obviously appeals to couples, but as I said, that there's a real appetite out there. And I think especially during the lockdown for people to connect with anybody. Um, and I think that's really fun. And I mean, I always see on our Reddit, you know, people are like looking for partners, like, you know, Hey, I've got the pill too. I want to connect or Hey, I've got the key on, you know, who's available tonight to connect with me and control it. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. I'm always like upvoting those posts, trying to help them uh, find a remote partner. I wonder if anybody's actually like done that and then ended up dating in real life, like met through those channels. That would I, be cool. I think that it, I wouldn't be surprised. I really, really wouldn't be surprised. Um, I know that um, out of the people that I've spoke to, um, because obviously I, I just look for feedback as well sometimes on the app and, and how this, you know, the movements and the syncing has been for people. Um, and I also, you know, I like to hear how positive or negative their experience was. And what I get is quite a common um, thing is that, all right, they don't, they're not necessary. It's not a love story, but you make a lot of friends on it. Genuinely, you make friends mm. um, and, and you learn a lot from people. And I think that's really, really nice. Like I spoke to one guy once who was sort of saying that what his taste, the, um, the partner he partnered up with, um sort of was after things that didn't turn him on and he was like hey actually you know I know another guy on here that would love to do that for you so I just feel like 
that is just something that wouldn't you know you wouldn't ha- happen in the real life and I feel like you know right. when you remove those boundaries and those sort of social cues that we're used to in society you get a bit more pleasure to be honest with you so it's good isn't it really yeah and you probably feel more free to do swap outs like that because it's not in person you know so like you kind of remove that awkwardness of that Mm in-person um suggestion or request you know that that distance i think like you said helps like break down boundaries did you guys see like a huge explosion in sales during covid yeah i mean sales did increase um and i know from because i also write um for future sex so we, we covered like you know quite a few articles over the lockdown about how you know the industry was booming um and it was because obviously you know we all have needs and we really couldn't have them catered for could we and i mean there were sex workers that um you know couldn't go to work anymore i mean only fans went crazy didn't it during the lockdown um and i think that you know all of these sort of areas are so 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 intertwined um and obviously there were so many couples that 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 couldn't see each other it was crazy like you know couples that sort of you know made a work trip and and, you know not seen each other for a year so yeah we got a lot of interest and I mean even on the reddit you know that people were asking questions during the lockdown uh, you know how can this technology help um you know I've never heard of it before but you know I was recommended it and so obviously you know people were searching searching for ways to stay connected um so yeah since you brought it up a couple of times just so people can find it what is your reddit um so our reddit is just r slash kiro um so i will give that as a link at the end but yeah uh, we have our own like community on there um and there's also um, a user for kiro if you want to get in touch with them and it's just kiro amsterdam but um, we'll make sure to get a little link. Fantastic. Um, so what do you think is like the next step then? Where where are we in advancing the future of sex tech? I think for me, one thing I'm really going to look out for is I think the next step is the content side of things, like matching up your experience with the toy with content um and I mean we've really seen that in um obviously our field stars campaign because a big one in the name we want people to feel their favorite porn star we want people to get to know their favorite porn star but what complements that well it's obviously watching the favorite scenes of your porn star and I think that yeah like POV porn um it's really advancing in a way that help will really help immerse people I mean for me as a woman as well I'm quite excited to see what's going to come for that um you know Mm. in the future um so yeah I think that yeah I think that VR is perhaps a bit inaccessible for some people at the moment or they feel it is um just because of the cost of headsets and things like that but you know like I know enough people that have had a brilliant, brilliant experience with just a mobile VR headset and a key on. So yeah, I think that the more, yeah, the more word gets out there, the bigger this is going to grow. Yeah. It's interesting, right? How like technology tends to go in directions that it's hard to anticipate. 
Um, I mean, I remember like two, three years ago, I was having people meetings with people telling me that I had to get into the VR market right now. It was going to explode in the next year. And that's all porn was going to be was VR. And that hasn't happened. I mean, there's definitely like a growing interest in VR and there's definitely VR companies that are doing well, but it didn't have like the takeover of the porn market that so many people were telling me about. And I don't know if you remember that there was like the whole 3D craze for a minute. And there was one company in particular that I knew spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars on like 3D equipment to make 3D porn. And that just sank. And they lost so much money. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that it comes down to difficulties with the hardware, to be honest. Um, And also as well, how can you, how, how can VR porn take over when you've still got free porn? um literally by you know what i mean um it's just yeah people aren't bothered really are they we always want a freebie me included um but again i think that we're starting to learn more about um free porn like i think that for example like only fans and sort of listening to a lot of the creators on there and why the porn industry was harming them and harming their income it has you know brought a shift and that shift is will work in favour of VR. And I mean, if you're investing in sex toys, interactive sex toys, a subscription for VR porn, it's not really a bit much extra, is it? Um, whereas I think before, perhaps people didn't feel the need. You know what I mean? So um, mm. I, I 100% do think it's one um, to look out for. And I mean, as well, there's, we've got to think that there's a bit of a difference between like VR porn and interactive porn. So interactive porn is obviously still 2D but it just connects with your sex toys. Um, So, you know, giving you that interactive experience, giving you the sort of hands-free experience. um, And, you know, for a lot of people, I can see why that would be fantastic. I mean, if you think that there's millions and millions of people living with hand mobility issues just from something like even arthritis, interactive porn with sex tech is brilliant for them because it's obviously going to take the work from them. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think if anything, what we've seen in this last year is, you know, the human desire for connection and that's why mm-hmm. OnlyFans has done so incredibly well. And I, and I would imagine that that will continue on with the interactive sex toys and, and anything that connects people, um, in some way or another. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see. So thank you so much for coming on and giving us some insight into, uh, the future of sex tech. It was really interesting. Where can people uh, find you online? Okay. So um, if you want to learn anything about Kira, please do come to our Reddit. Um, you can contact the moderator, um, Kira Amsterdam, and obviously check out our main site. It's just www.kiro.com. Um, and we have all the stuff about our field star collection. Um, yeah. We've done like loads of interviews with the girls. Um yeah, so it's exciting stuff. Definitely come and have a look. Fantastic. Thank you so much. No worries. And you guys can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Holly Randall. You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash Holly Randall Unfiltered. And thank you all so much for coming. Eleanor, thank you again for your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my show and want to support it, I ask that you take the time to rate and review my podcast. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash HRU 
and you'll automatically be directed to the various podcast apps your device supports and then be led to the place where you can rate my show. Five stars, of course, and leave your glowing review. Okay, it doesn't have to be glowing, but you know, say something nice. You can also financially support this show through my Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered where you get so many perks for your support. Things such as early releases and live recordings of my interviews, merchandise such as stickers, mugs, and hoodies, autographed copies of my photography books, free access to my private Snapchat and not safe for work website, hollyrandall.com, and my bonus podcast, My LA Porn Life. Also, join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash hollyrandallunfiltered, and you can watch the video versions of these interviews at youtube.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. Oh, and of course, sign up for my newsletter at hollyrandallunfiltered.com and get all the info on upcoming guests and special projects. Again, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for supporting my podcast in whatever way that you can. <laughs>